Greetings and salutations. My name is Justin Lore. And I'm Leo Donald. And you are listening to episode 44 of Horror Business. This is my new... Ca- do you, I just want you to... Well, you fucking... Have you lived in a mountain for 500 years and no. forgotten the yeah. taste of bread and the, yeah. the smell of the wind? And oh, you- okay, you got, you're, you're getting a, I'm, a... Picture... This is what I want you to picture. Okay, I'm picturing it. It's a cross. This new character is a cross between Schmeigel... And right, Schmeigel, Smeagol, Schmeagol, Smeagol, Schmeagol, and one of the uh, Cenobites, my already famous. None of the Cenobites make any noises. Yeah, they go. No, they go. <laughs> okay, Justin, let's no. do the thing. They're either <laughs> deeply articulate in the case of Doug Bradley, yes, or the female Cenobite whose name I forget, or they just go. Can you? Uh, can we just go ahead and have you just make an agreement, just like a like a pinky swear? I sure, we'll do for you to never fucking clack your teeth together in my presence ever again. I, I will do that for you. I will something do something about that is the most. I know this is weird because, as you know, Harvest and Stubbles is an ASMR podcast, <laughs> and um, I know some for some people. There's probably other noises we've made, you know, like there was that whole period where I would regularly fart to the microphone or we've eaten food. You've eaten food. That's not a wee we've thing. Eaten you've food. eaten food. Food has been eaten on the Cinepunks network, broadly speaking. Um, and so you wouldn't think that uh, various noises would be an issue. But there's something about fucking teeth clacking together. Flip this, really I flipped me. the switch successfully in Liam. I've pulled a rancor and flipped the switch for all you uh, Pennsylvania hardcore people out there. So, what movies are we talking about today? One minute. Oh, sorry. You said Pennsylvania hardcore, and I immediately started thinking all has failed. Okay, uh, so today we are discussing The First Power. Released in 1990. Starring Lou Diamond Phillips. LDP in the LDP house. LDP representing those Pinoy out there. What, what? I had to do that for Josh because yeah. Josh isn't here. But if he Hell was yeah. here, he would say something about being Filipino. And then uh, a little movie called Fallen. Mm. Uh, Fallen filmed in uh, a town near here, Philadelphia. Near here and dear to Liam's heart. And my heart to an extent, I guess. <laughs> to an extent, I guess. I don't know. I have a love-hate relationship with Philadelphia. What? All your hate is stupid. Just Probably. Embrace, just embrace your love. Okay. Here's the deal. It's filmed in Philly. A lot of it is not only filmed in Philadelphia, y'all. John. John. <laughs> but it's filmed It's filmed in fucking... A, a chunk of it, a large section of it, are filmed in Mania, which is not that big a deal because Mania mostly sucks. But um, it li- is filmed specifically in a part of Mania that I used to live. In fact, there are multiple parts in the film where you can see where I used to live in Maniac, and that is weird. So is this movie like Creed? Like this is like a starring movie that you you were in? They filmed the movie... What year did this film come out? 1998. Yeah. I moved to this neighborhood in 2002. Ah. So no, definitely was not around for that. But it was recent enough that when we moved there, you meet your name. You know, you meet... People, you probably... Okay. 
those of our listeners who live in the suburbs, you probably don't know this, but um, in cities, you meet your neighbors. Um, and those neighbors uh, are not people necessarily that you want to talk to. But you're all squished together, and they just have to talk to you. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, obviously. In fact, one of the things I hate about this neighborhood is all my neighbors want to meet me, and I'm like, yo, get the fuck out. The neighborhood you live in now? Yeah. I don't blame you for feeling that way. <laughs> no, it's not true. We have a couple of neighbors that are nice, but some of them are like, I'm like, ooh, back up. But um, when we moved to Maniunk, <clears throat> everybody was very friendly, and one of the first things they wanted you to know is that Fallen was filmed there. Not only was it filmed there, it was filmed right there. And there's a cut scene, apparently, which I've never seen, but apparently it exists, where there's a chase scene and it's through the backyards of the neighborhood. Okay. So they're like, all the neighbors want you to know that they met Denzel and that was filmed in their backyard. Well, great. I'm glad that, uh, yes. So you guys know it's where the basketball court is. That was my neighborhood. Hmm. Where he, uh, basically, oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, so before we get started, um, I have. Well, before we actually get any further, I guess we should we should we should we should talk about who this episode is brought to you by. This episode is brought to you by our beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Patreon subscribers, who we are eternally grateful for. Thank you so much for anything you've done. Any 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 tokens you've given to us. It. I, I don't get happy about much. I'm not a happy person. In fact, I'm in a pretty bad mood right now. I'm in a really good, bad mood right good, now. Good thing we're recording. Excellent. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna help. I hope. Uh, but the that's disgusting. You're fucking gross. What just happened? Uh, so thank you if you've donated anything to our Patreon. I really appreciate it, and Lame appreciates it, and we on the Cinepunks Network appreciate it because we're trying to do cool things, and anything that you can give helps us do those cool things. Let me let me say this too. If you have um, given money to Patreon, uh, and you're th- sitting there thinking like, "Man, I want one of those new cool Cinepunk shirts. I'd like a King Boxer or a Come Drink with Me or a Hippie Kill Cult or whatever the fuck we have." I mean, maybe you're listening to this, you know, retroactively, and now we've got a cool infest shirt or some shit i don't know maybe our our our, our long awakened uh, uh long awaited hard business stuff tribute shirt mm. or maybe we uh finally got black sun dispatches to do a shirt yeah and it's sick where those king croc shirts at brendan foley i'm fucking calling you out it's probably i probably need to be in charge of that actually i don't yeah. know yeah oops anyways i'm gonna lean on brendan about that yeah the point being y'all that uh if you are a Patreon subscriber and you'd like some shirt action, I know there's rules on the Patreon. Fuck those rules. Yeah, we live life in the fast lane. Hit me up and I will send you a shirt. Cool. Period. Period. Done. So thank you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by you, and we're for like we're for the, we're for the people, and you are the people, and thank you. Yep. It's also brought to you by the questionable folks <laughs> at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. They have, I mean, Mitch is cool. I like Mitch. Jared's cool. I would probably kill and die for Brad. And when if Brad dies before me, I'm probably going to go uh, irrevocably. I can't even make up a word for it. Irrevocably? Insane. Sure. Uh, <laughs> not like you're like not. There's not, no hope. Yeah. If Brad okay. dies tomorrow, I'm in a fucking institution Sunday. <laughs> and I'm there for, till I die. Um. Chris Reject is a piece of shit. 
Uh, I hope oh that God. there's no. I sincerely hope there's no pinatas at his at his thing tomorrow, so I can actually beat him with a baseball bat um, in front of his children. Mm. Uh, but despite the fact that I want to kill him, he does good work. He's a professional, quote unquote. You can't see me doing air quotes because this is an audio medium, but I'm doing them. Um, if you want to get a shirt made, if you want to get a fucking long sweatpants with the fucking print down the leg for oh, the, the 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 metal swant the metal swant whatever that is swant swant Swan. I, I just squish them together. swant i like that if you want to get swants made if you want to get like I, I, it, like if you really like the movie overboard starring kurt russell and goldie hawn and Who you the fuck doesn't it's my mom's favorite movie of all time it's really it's good. a good movie so if you want to get like a t-shirt dedicated to that movie made chris reject will do that for you and he'll do a fucking amazing job at a reasonable price he'll work with you he'll show you the different kind of weaves you can get for the t-shirts like oh do you want like your traditional cotton weave do you want one with like bamboo weaved in it are you looking for some fucking uh comfort colors some gildans some next do you want vibranium weaved into your t-shirts bella canvas yes all these things that liam is saying and hammer I don't know what any of that means. He could be making those up for all I know. Toltex. 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 Toltex? Toltex. T-U-L. Tall. Not no. Toltec, like the indigenous people of... It's T-U-L-L-T-E-X. Okay, Toltex. that. We'll get that made. Go there. Yeah. Well, not there. What's the website? www.xlvacx.com. And let me encourage you to go to the website. Here's the thing. Very professional, very great. You don't want to go there in person. Let's just let's just put that out there. Chris doesn't want to talk to you in person. He wants to answer your email. He wants to send you some mock-ups, whatever. Just email. Yeah. Go to the website, send him an email, let him know that way. I Occasionally, we've had people walk in, not because of our podcast, but in general, people walk in. You don't want to do that. It's hot. Don't come in. You know what? I was going to do a thing where... I forget who recommended it on Twitter, but they said every podcast should shout out another podcast at some point. Yeah, we. I thought we've tried to do that. We haven't really been doing that. I think we did for a bit. And then I'm going to do it right now. Uh, so this is still we're still plugging LVAC. So bear with us. I'm going to shout out the Horrified Podcast. My man Justin Abney, and th- th- he does a good podcast out of Chicago. Fellow sure. Edgman, respect, respect. Sure. Did a little nice little cover of Hard Business for us. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they get T-shirts made. Justin. And Zach and Ian and Sarah, I'm fucking calling you guys out. Your t-shirts. Get them printed at LVAC. What have you been doing? What have you been doing? Get it done. What do you think is happening right Everyone now? Everyone should go listen to the to the Horrified podcast. Yep. And then email them and say, well, why are you not getting your really cool shirt designs, by the way, Very printed at LVACX. LVAC. Leah Valley Apparel Creations. Chris Reject, unlike Justin Abney and myself and Liam, is a fiend and a drinker <laughs> and a taker of narcotics. Of narc. He's not a sober person. He's not straight edge. <laughs> He's dangerous. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. He's not straight edge. <laughs> I'd, I'd support you that he's not straight edge. Hey there, horror fiends. Liam here. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but... There was an, something we forgot to tell you all about that I want to fill you in on right now. You see, uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, your favorite screen printer, is also sponsoring an event that's coming up that we want to tell you about. If you are anywhere near the Lehigh Valley, and by near I mean within a hundred mile radius, you want to come to the Lehigh Valley on July 20th for Let's Hang Out! 
a unique and one-of-a-kind wrestling and music experience. Let me read the copy to you. The beauty of music, the pleasure of food, the bonds of friendship, and the king of sport, professional wrestling. On July 20th, LVAC and BWA will bring these four behemoths together to create an event that will surely be talked about for decades, or at least weeks, to come. So grab your Brock strap and let's hang out. So, uh, this is a get-together. It's cool. It's cheap. What's it going to feature? Let's let's talk about this. Juan Francisco de Coronado, Ultramantis Black, Dasher Hatfield, Hollow Wicked, Willow Nightingale, Orange Cassidy, Havoc, Weird World, Dan Champion, Cobalt, Ashley Vox, Murloc, Bill Avery, Delmi Exo, and maybe a few more. Other guests include Bryce Remsberg, Vlad Radinoff, Diamond Joe Leonard, Misfit Manor, Tape Swap Radio, and Dr. Frank. After the wrestling ends, stick around for live performances by Cheap Pop, Spirit of the Beehive, and Mannequin Pussy. That's right, Mannequin Pussy. I said it, so it's their name. I can't get in trouble for that. All right. Uh, there'll also be an all-vegan snack bar, including Awesome Vegan Dogs by uh, our very own Santoros here in the Lehigh Valley. So that's July 20th, 2018 at National Sokols, uh, 613 Hillside Avenue, Bethlehem, PA. Uh, doors are at 7. First bell is at 730. Admission is $10. Can you believe that? $10 for an event like this? For something of this much class and entertainment value? I mean, basically, you'd be a mark not to go. All right, we'll see you there. So now comes the part where we say, hey, Liam. That's me. Have you done anything harm-related recently? Uh, yeah, a couple of things. It's interesting. We, we talked about this. I had to have you remind me a little bit. I did a lot of horror stuff, and you were involved in a lot of it. Oh, that's true. Um, okay. Well, do you want to jump into... Do you, should I talk about the horror stuff that doesn't involve you first? Yes, do that. Okay. Well, so this kind of involves you, but I finally saw uh, A Quiet Place. Ah. And I know uh, we, I had to I had to immediately text you and my man, Josh Alvarez, because both of you really enjoyed this movie, and I wanted to be on the same... I wanted this to be like a... Like a PowerPoint for all of us. Like we're in this together, a quiet place. Um, didn't like it. Didn't like it. There's nothing wrong with that. Didn't. Oh, I, that's too strong. And this happens. This is a thing. You know, as uh, it would be a stretch to call us critics. I guess. I don't think so. I don't know. Some people seem to be uptight about that word. I'm going to apply to be. Uh, we were we were referred to on the internet as an academic podcast. So well, but I would actually make a strong argument that professional film critics are not academics. Touche. Almost never, uh, and that many academics don't read critics and don't like them. Um, but there are some film critics that are also academics, uh, and I'm more of a failed academic than an actual academic. But say you're talking, I'm like looking in a mirror right now. Know, right, Same I here. Know, right. <laughs> but all that to say. Um, you know, uh, I want to, as someone who is doing some commentary on film, to be the sort of person who, for whom I don't let the phenomena around a film affect how I feel about the film. Okay. You know what I mean? So, for example, I think some people are a little too excited about uh, The Last Jedi because the internet is so 
that I say the internet. Certain people on the internet are so fucking angry at the movie that you end up like defending it super hard because you don't want these fucking pieces of shit to win. Okay. You know? And so I've seen people be like, yeah, I think it's the best one. I think it's better than Empire. And I'm just like, all right, guys. All right, let's let's roll it back a little bit. Let's it's not better than Empire. No, it's Return not of the better. Jedi is, though, but... Oh, you're one of those. We're yes. not going to have that conversation. No, we're not. Not a Star Wars podcast. No, no, no. But but you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The point yeah. Is, is that I'm all for defending the movie, but I think sometimes we get a little hyperbolic. So, uh, and, I, and I can understand that. In the same way... I think I'm a little hard on A Quiet Place because most people I know who I respect love the movie. So much so that when I said on the internet that I maybe didn't love the movie, people were not, they weren't mad at me, but they were all kind of like taken aback. Like, what? What? Yeah, but uh, here's the thing. Yeah. Who gives a fuck what you don't like? That's not my point. But my point is more, in fact, to say quite the opposite, that I do care that what other people say does affect me, and I don't want it to. I want to say I went into this tabula rasa, and I, you know, just that means the blank slate for those who are wondering. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. That was unnecessarily hostile. Um, the point is, I want to say that I went into the movie like not with valid expectations, just ready to accept the movie on its own terms. Okay, but that's not true, and I want it to be true, but it's not true. The reality is, I went in stoked. Because it's like, yeah, I'm fucking finally getting to see this movie. I've been wanting to see it for a while. Everyone who I respect and love thinks it's fucking killer. Mm-hmm. So I'm ready to be blown away. And I, and, I, and I wasn't blown away. And so I think I'm punishing the movie because I wasn't blown away a little bit. And that's not fair. Because it, it was still pretty good. Okay. It's just certain things bum me out. One, it, it feels a little bit, for me, like some sort of a libertarian post-apocalyptic fantasy stuff. Okay. Uh, it also feels weirdly pro-life. I beg to differ on that, though. All right. I think that this movie is a very pro-choice argument uh, because it's sort of like, why the fuck would you have a child in such horrible situations? Mm-hmm. That's how that's that's what that's what I took from it. But I've also seen a lot of like there have been a lot of pro-life publications that are like, see, life finds a way, and it's like, no, you should not be having a fucking child in those situations. I, but I'm not. Con- I don't think the movie does the work. I think that's the, a fair. That's a the fair. Most ob- and and I'm not even. Let me roll that back a little bit too. I'm not pushing this as far as saying it's a criticism. I don't think the movie, in and of itself, is trying actually to make a point. But I think because the movie is moving at a certain pace and they don't have time to have that conversation, like because they're just mostly signing and they're not usually getting into emotional conversations with each other. I don't know how they feel about having this child. The The main emotional crux of the movie has nothing to do with the fact that they're like, okay, clearly we're only having a baby because our other kid died and we feel bad. And so we're overcompensating. I mean, I'm assuming that's what's going on. If not, the writing is even worse than I thought it was, which is a bummer. But I'm assuming that that's why they're having this child. But they don't have time to discuss it. Okay. Which is fine. Like, I get why plot-wise that makes sense. But as a viewer, I'm like, ooh, there's a way this movie could be seen to be like making that point and i personally want to see a movie make the case of like why am i supposed to accept that it's okay that they're having a baby under these circumstances so what you're saying is that you think that the characters in that specific circumstances in this hypothetical situation would you go as far as saying it is morally reprehensible to have a child i i think the movie seems to me to suggest the life of this baby 
is somehow more important than the other two kids. Okay. Just, I, just in the way the plot works itself out. And for me, yeah, I think it's a bad idea to have a co- kid. And I don't think it's just because the future is bleak. Like, I'm not like, a, until the future gets less bleak, don't have a child. It's more like, in having a child, for whatever emotional reason you're doing that, yeah, you're literally putting the lives of your other children at risk. And so, like, the emotional crux of the movie is, do you for the daughter is do they still love me or do they blame me for the death of my brother that seems to be what's going on there i mean and for me i'm like i get that that's why that because of this horrible tragedy whatever i'm like i doubt that they love you because they're having another child you really think that (laughs) not really but i would if i if they're if they inserted another character into the movie it's the family and then one other person yeah 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 I would be like, if I'm in that writer's room going, is that the person that's trying to talk sense into them? Is that the person that's going, guys, this is a bad idea. Why are we doing this? Why is this the thing we're doing? See, this is a very bad idea. I, I do think, I, I will go out on a limb and say that I do think that by bringing a child into that specific world, mm-hmm. I do think that is a actually morally objectionable act. Like, I do think it falls on the wrong side of like what is right and what is wrong. I think what they're doing is wrong. See for okay here's for where, so many reasons. Here's where I differ from you. If the movie was about them, yeah, and not their children, so two people have learned how to survive. She gets pregnant. They decide they're going to do everything they need to do for that child to live, as opposed to getting an abortion. Side note too: Did the did the fucking sound monsters eat all the condoms in the fucking world? There's no condoms left, or you never learned how to pull out. Like what the fuck? Anyways, put that aside. The point is, is that it's put aside. <laughs> that story of, yo, we're going to risk our lives for this baby, that's not more than reprehensible to me, actually, at all. Uh, I'm 100% okay. okay with that. It's the fact that you have two perfectly fine children. Yeah. And now you're going to put their fucking lives at risk to have this other baby? It. For me as a viewer, I'm thinking, man, they really don't give a fuck about these other kids, huh? They're just gonna, they're just gonna let them get all eaten on up so that they can have a cute little baby, baby. See, I think even without the other two children involved, it's like you're just like, don't even bring it into the world. I mean, it's sort of like, uh, I mean, it's almost like it's wrong for the sake of being wrong, regardless of the consequences. Bringing a bringing a life that is going to be literally nothing but fucking fear. And 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 anxiety and terror from the gate, and the the threat of a horrible death is lurking constantly around the corner. Mm. I do believe that that that's fucked up to 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 to, to, to subject a, to subject a life to that to willingly subject a. I believe that I believe that non-existence is better to that existence. See, this is interesting because I feel like this is weird to me then. On a related note, that you still were into the movie because I feel like with your perspective, the movie's even. If I completely agreed with you, I would not have just been like, "Oh, I, I the movie's okay, but I didn't love it." I was too busy trying I, not to shit my pants would, out of fear to I think that during the movie. So okay, so this is the other thing. I really wanted to be scared. Everyone talked about how scared they were. <sighs> At no moment in this movie was I scared. What? It really? gave me no anxiety, no dread. I feel like. The the there started to be some, but they sh- uh, a the monster looks stupid. All right, <laughs> the monster looks stupid, and they show it to you too soon. I think eventually they got to show it to you, but they they don't 
cock tease long enough, and they they show you the monster, and it's like I didn't need to see it yet. Hold on to it till the end. You didn't think the monster looked scary? It looked dumb. It looked like a reject. Like we're designing monsters for uh, the fucking Resident Evil video game, and I came up with one, and, and everyone went, "Nah, that one's dumb. Look at this one. It's dumb. Get rid of that one." I like the way it functions. The idea that. It, it uses sonar to hear you, and that's how it hunts. That's great. I'm just talking about the actual fucking visuals on the monster. Gross, dumb, bad CGI, bad. <sighs> See, I thought, I honestly felt that that movie succeeded. The design of the monster succeeded in a way that um, when I first read about um, Geiger's design for the Xenomorph. Sure. Where how they... F- where how what the fuck were they they they, they felt that without eyes it was scarier because you could never tell if it was looking at you or if even if it had that sense and that made it even more alien i i think the idea that you removed by taking the eyes away from it Mm -hmm. and just making it basically like a venom mouth with big ears all over its face Mm -hmm. i thought that was such a weird alien construct that it, it it creeped me out on like a on like a very like primitive level no again theoretically that's great. Yeah. I like, 100% like the idea that it doesn't have eyes and then it just hears you. I 100% like the con- concept of it. I'm saying in the execution, I didn't like how it looked. Okay. And then for me, tension-wise, like I think the opening, especially with the very brutal way the movie opens, yeah. actually was great. I was, yeah. I was in. But then as the movie progressed, it kind of lost it for me. I don't like... Krasinski, is that his last name? Yeah, yeah. I don't like him as an actor. Really? He really rose me the wrong way. I didn't didn't buy him the whole movie, but uh, is Emily Blunt? Emily Blunt, yeah. She was good. Yeah. Daughter was great. Yes. Next level good. But even the son was pretty good. Like, he's not always the best, but the parts where he's really scared, I felt like he sold it really well. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, ah, Christian, I I didn't... Again, maybe uh, it... I think from Krasinski's performance and that he's a director, there's a part of me that's like, yo, is this movie about how you actually don't love your kids? Because <laughs> is that what's going on here? No, I. so all that to say, I don't I don't take quite as bleak a view as, as, as you do of it, but I do think it's weird to me that they never once, like any normal human would have a conversation at some point of like, are we sure this is a good idea? But I guess the movie's past that. They're already committed, whatever. I just don't I just I just couldn't buy, I couldn't buy into the 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 feeling of like I'm supposed to care that they're doing this. I was just annoyed that they were doing this. And I'm like those poor kids have to put up with these idiot parents. These are the dumbest fucking parents. And those those kids should just leave them and go out on their own. They do much better on their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um that being said, I I'm being very again I feel like I'm being overly harsh because people loved it so much. It was entertaining. I wasn't, I guess for me, it was more like the way that you would describe other summer movies. Okay. You know, like some of the things you saw this summer, you're like, oh, it's not great or anything, but I I was entertained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I felt. It still entertained me. There were just parts of it that really annoyed me that I didn't know. And maybe it was just because the people I was interacting with about the movie all really loved the movie. Yeah, that, that movie, um, I mean, not to be like, well, everything Liam just said is fucking bullshit, but that movie I mean, is... That's fun. No, it's fun. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> it's likely going to end up being my number two horror movie of the year. Wow. Wow. 
Okay. When it, were you about to transition to your number one horror movie of the year? <laughs> sort of, because it was something that we did together. Yeah, but let me just say one more thing. Uh, the other horror-related thing I did um, is that, and I haven't written anything yet, and I need to write about it, so apologies. Um, I saw Wolfman's Got Nards. Oh, the documentary? Yeah. How was it? So, uh, for those of you who don't know, Wolfman Got Nards is a documentary by uh, Andre Gower. Yes. Who we met and technically friend with. of the podcast. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Who we met and hung out with at a screening of Nightmare on Elm Street Three. By the way, Nancy and the director are in this documentary. They clearly shot something with them before the event. That's cool. Yeah, so that was cool. Even though they have nothing to do with Bosco Squad, they're just talking about. I hope that me and Evan and Chris X are in the background robbing Don Dawkins' green room. Oh, definitely not. At that time, it was in a whole different location. But not that we did that. But whatever. Yeah, whatever. Uh, the point being is that um, so I saw this movie, and here's the thing: as it's starting, the vibe when it first gets going is just a little too uh, DVD special feature for me. Okay, I'm watching a theatrical documentary. I want it to just have a certain scope and a certain momentum. Yeah. And at first, it just doesn't have that. It's just like, okay, this is how the movie got made. This is the experience. And it's cute, but it just, there's no story there, I feel like. Yeah. And, and again, not that I wouldn't still watch it. I would. I love Monster Squad. But I'm watching it thinking, if you don't love, and I mean fucking love Monster Squad, this is not interesting. It's, in fact, a little bit boring. And there's some commentary from various people who also love the movie and why it meant something to them. But as it went forward, it was not a movie about Monster Squad, really. Okay. In the sense of how the movie was made, though that was part of it. It's more about the fucking phenomena of Monster Squad. And so the movie really starts to get traction when... Um, Fred Decker and Andre Gower and um, what's the other gentleman's name who does the podcast? Oh shit! Uh, the point Ryan, is, Ryan, Ryan, yeah, Ryan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shambert, Lambert, Ryan Lambert, Ryan Lambert. Yeah. So they're basically talking about how um, the night the movie comes out, they're going to go to all these different theaters and check it out, see how it is. The, yeah. Like the documentary? No, the night. Monster Squad comes Okay. Out. So they're going to go and check it out and see what the audience response is. And no one has fucking seen the movie. No one's seen the movie. The theaters are fucking empty. That sucks. And like that that moment of them talking and um, my man just straight up saying like I didn't tell anyone I was in the movie. Like I didn't want people to know. Like I hid that I was in a movie. Yeah, because I was so fucking embarrassed that that by this movie, like I was, I felt so ashamed. And again, not the experience of making the movie, not even his enjoyment of the movie itself. The fact that nobody saw it and no one gave a fuck, it like crushed him. And I, and, I, and from what I could tell, crushed Fred Decker too. Oh, I can imagine. And like that at that point, which is a good halfway in, so you got to already be pretty invested in caring about Monster Squad. So if you don't give a fuck about Monster Squad, it's going to be hard for you to get there. But when the story becomes about the experience of having a movie that you loved making, whether that was as the main creative force or just as part of it, and it just goes over like a fucking fart in the wind. The Lost Boys fucking destroyed it. 
Lost Boys came out two weeks before Monster Squad did. And when Monster Squad came out, people were still going to see Lost Boys. Oh, my God, yeah. The Lost Boys fucking ate it whole like it didn't exist. And, I mean, that shit happened. Star Wars ate a couple movies, you know? Uh, like The I, Lost Boys devoured Near Dark. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that, like, what sucks about that is is that feeling and 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 so anyway so then the story then becomes like okay the movie dies but then slowly it builds momentum it builds momentum and then their experience of being invited to this screening in austin at the alamo draft house and they're like oh, screening of monsters i don't know i guess i guess i'll go whatever and they get there and they sell out the first night they sell out the second night there's all these people and they're all like where's the fucking dvd because there's no dvd yet and it's like becomes a whole thing um all of a sudden, the movie gets interesting about halfway through because that phenomena of like the fan base and how it grew and how the DVD got made and that the whole – I mean, and let's be real here. If you hate Monster Squad, this is going to be hard for you because most of the movies are a fucking jerk-off session about how Monster Squad's the fucking best. Okay. There's, a, there's an acknowledgement. There's a professor. They talked to a professor early on in the movie. Um who teaches Monster Squad in, one, in his class. Okay. And he's the only one who kind of acknowledges, like, it's it's a problematic movie. <laughs> There's some problems. You know, the, the virgin thing, that's a problem. The hard Fs, lots of hard Fs. I will say that part may be a little uncomfortable because the professor used the hard F, and I was like, ooh, buddy, just say hard F. Everyone knows what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone knows what you mean. Um, anyways, the point is, is that... Um, there's some acknowledgement that there's rough edges, right? Okay. But most of it's kind of a jerk-off session. But when it becomes about the story of how that movie gained its following, I don't care about how wanky it is. The beginning part where it's like, Monster Squad matters, and here's all the people who think Monster Squad matters. It's just too much for me. Yeah. And as that's someone who fucking loves Monster Squad, I was like, ooh, this is a little too wonky like we fucking love this shit okay but then as it becomes about those people and why they love it and what that sort of led them to whether that's a whole bunch of people have started their own like gatherings because of monster squad like they're not necessarily monster squads though a number of people were like well can i start a monster squad but it was more like oh yeah we do this thing together as adults like this dude has this like club where they do like uh, they hang out like once a week and like make monsters and shit. Like they do models and they draw and they're artists and they. Uh, that's fucking cool. Man. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That part's cool. But even better, this is uh, this is a long way around to get to this one really important thing. Even though the whole thing is a fucking jerk off, like I like like or so much of it is like a jerk off of how great the movie is. Right? They don't edit our man Fred Decker, who's just straight up like, look. I get it. I get why people love it. I fucking love it. I, I, it's, he's like, it's the best movie ever made. I put my fucking heart and soul into that movie. But the reality is no one cared. And to find out in 2006 that actually they did is not actually that great. He's like, so yeah, I love it. And I love that you love it. But I, I'm ambivalent. You know, imagine this. It's like, how do you put it? I want to say how do you put it. It's like... Uh, you took a swing at a pitch in 1989. And then in 2006, someone told you you hit a home run. Why does that matter anymore? Yeah. He's like, it's, it's the movie that I, it's the best movie I've ever done. And it's the movie that killed my career. So, uh, yeah. And the fact that they left this dark fucking moment in the thing where it's like, everyone's like, I love the Monster Squad. It's so great. And then the force behind it's like, it might have ruined my life, actually. It's like, <laughs> to me, that was the best decision they made. And it, and it 
you're only going to really enjoy this movie if you find these two gentlemen, Ryan Lambert and Andre Gower. If you find them charming, you're going to find this movie charming because every part that isn't someone talking at the camera, like eventually it becomes every part that isn't someone talking at the camera about Monster Squad is them just gallivanting around the globe. Like they've basically made a career now of just following Monster Squad. And good for them. And talk, Oh no, no judgment at all. Especially yeah. since like, again, both these dudes were like, well, I guess my career is over and I have to be a normal now, even though I was yeah. on the set and I did all this shit. It doesn't mean anything because no one cares about this movie. And to have someone, you know, 16 years later, just suddenly be like, Oh, you're wrong, sir. Everyone cares about this movie is amazing. It's yeah. actually like, it's it, it it is a heartwarming tale. It's not, I guess, if you hate Monster Squad, but if you love it the way I do, it's a heartwarming tale. But to really get to the idea that the story here is not Monster Squad, the story here is the phenomena of Monster Squad. It just takes a while to get there. Okay, so that just kind of bummed me out. But once it got there, and the and the and the the idea that like. This isn't just about how great we are or how great Monster Squad is. It's also about how hard it was. I just thought that was a cool that was a cool thing. Yeah. I, I just appreciated that about the movie. So it's cool. I do I think if it's screening near you, you need to like rush out and see it. Maybe not. Maybe you just wait till you can stream it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Somewhere. But it was definitely worth my time as a Monster Squad fan. Fair enough. Alright. So then uh, let's let's transition into what I've done. Even though Liam and I both did uh, this isn't worth really getting too far in the depth. We did the Mahoning Drive in Vampire. Oh, that was fun. Near Dark and uh, from Dust Till Dawn. That was a lot of fun. Yep. Um, we also did the Mahoning Drive in Carpenter Fest. Yep. Uh, at the Mouth of Madness and Christine. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And we did. Uh, I did one movie of the the Umberto Lenzi tribute at Mahoning Drive in. Uh, we saw Nightmare City, aka City of the Walking Dead, starring uh, Harbis's favorite Hugo Stieglitz. Uh, and I had a chance to hang out with, uh, Cinepunk's one and only Josh Alvarez at the class of 88, uh, little mini oh, festival. Gosh, I forgot. Oh, I wish I could. Uh, down in Philadelphia. Um, yeah. that was cool seeing, uh, Bill Lundig talk about amongst Lustig, Lustig. I'm sorry. Lustig talk about amongst other things, how, uh, insane Joe Spinell was in real life on the set of maniac. Um, seeing, uh, sitting next to Josh, seeing him see, uh, Chuck Russell's version of the blob for the first time was a a moment. I'll, I'll cherish. I'll, I'll take that to the grave. Yeah. That was, that was a beautiful thing. Seeing Josh witness that for the first time. Sure. Um, I mean, it was, it was a good time. We saw, I saw slime city again. It was, you know, a great movie. Um, but the first movie I want to talk about is a movie that Liam and I saw together recently that's been getting a lot of buzz, for better or for worse, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to be my number one horror movie, horror movie of the year, unless, I don't know, The Nun knocks it out of, uh, <laughs> out of its throne. Sure. Um, side note, do you hear that really hyping up like a lot of like Bava references in that movie? I don't want to. I, don't, I, I do. Don't want, I don't want to know about that. Um, last week, Liam and I saw a film called Hereditary. We sure did. Um... I had a very deeply visceral reaction to that film. Yep. Uh, and I know, I know a lot of people are like sort of torn on it. Um, I had a conversation with, uh, Joe from the Har show. Um, he and I had talked about how he had felt that, uh, the movie was maybe hyped up a little too much for him. 
and it didn't really reach his expectations. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people are saying, which I'll accept that over the troglodyte, this movie fucking sucked reaction that I'm also seeing a lot in, in, in social media. Um, I don't ever want to see that movie again. <laughs> the movie was too much for me. Right. Uh, I don't want to get too personal as to how it affected me. Um, but it got inside of me in a way that few movies have. And it really, 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 really fucked up my night. And for days afterwards, I was really unable to think about anything else. Uh, I just said, I, 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 there's not really much else I could say about that aside from the fact that like it, 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 it shook me, it shook me to my core. And, um, Tony Collette should get a fucking Oscar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've I loved it. I don't even again. It's hard because people have a lot of strong opinions about this movie, and uh, including the brilliant scholars that we saw it with, who sat behind us the whole time, offering their very well thought out and well constructed opinions on the film. Yeah, I mean, I I made a joke about this on Facebook, and some people got real sensitive. There was a, a whole chunk of people who went and just found it stupid, or it didn't connect with them or whatever it is that they didn't like it. And so, um, I think I bummed out some people. They thought I was making fun of them. I was just making, I was making a joke because literally when we were there at this girl, when the movie ended, there was these two young ladies behind us. They seemed to be tween, tween age. And they were like, that was the worst fucking movie. And when I say that, I, I think also too, that maybe comes across like I'm, just making fun of them. That was how the whole theater felt. Yeah, there was the one guy in the back who was just like, that's it? Yeah, like, there was so much negative response. And I actually, in a way, almost was trying to, like, I don't know, respect that these girls were at least responding. Like, they were just saying what they were feeling, and everybody was feeling that way, except for us. And then then this the, the one girl, she said, you know, there weren't even any brutal kills. Actually, I want to point out the other people who enjoyed it were the pair of middle-aged women ahead of us, one of whom That's I almost got no fist fight with before the movie. <laughs> This what this the the trailer started and this woman shushed Justin and for a brief moment he thought about fucking flipping out and then afterwards he was like okay but, but anyways and the, then we went up and apologized to her and I actually had a brief discussion about the movie it was very tender and human good but so this girl but this young lady just wanted us to know that the kills were not brutal she and she was the talking during the whole movie she was chatting the whole movie and she wanted the theater to know the kills were not brutal and I. Didn't think of it till the next day, but I really did think it was fucking funny because I'm like, the whole movie is brutal. Like, yeah. It's just a brutal movie. And I think in the end, look, I, I think maybe the film is uninterested in a certain definition of the word entertainment. Yes. The movie's not trying to entertain you in the most traditional sense. And for some people... That means it's not a movie. I see this all the time, especially on film Twitter. There are some folks who care very passionately about story. They care very passionately about narrative. And other people, they care very passionately about spectacle, about being entertained. And while this movie has a lot of spectacle in it, and it has, I think, actually a pretty compelling story, there are large sections of it that are trying to create a mood that are functioning because you're not entertained. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, I mean, again, I, 
I don't want to say too much either other than that. Just to say, like, look, um, I get it. If you didn't like the movie, and a lot of people didn't like the movie, I actually get that. And, I, and I'm not trying to be condescending, but like, oh, I get it, buddy, whatever. I'm serious. Like, I get that it's not what some people are looking for in a horror movie. But I get it in a very intellectual way. Emotionally, this is almost exactly what I'm looking for in every horror movie. In the sense of it connected to me emotionally. Yes. It made me unhappy. And then it made me extremely afraid of what was going to happen next. Yes. Now, I didn't know if what was going to happen next was going to be violence, per se. It could have gone any number of directions that were not violent, but were just as upsetting. And so the level of fear I was feeling was not the fear of, like, something's going to jump out and grab me. It was an actual fear of the movie itself. I think... Movie. What are you doing? Yeah. Movie. Are you going to do a thing and I'm going to be sad or unhappy? I'm afraid of you, movie. Now, to be fair, it's still... I, I definitely will pull back from the people. The scariest movie ever made. Certainly these not. These people are just assholes. Like they're all going to say shit like that. That's just how they are. This is a different kind of horror movie, but for me, it was very effective, and it is at least my top ten in my top ten for the year. Movies. Period. Like, that's just yeah, how it's going to be. I think this movie. The best way to describe this movie in a very broad way is that seeing this movie and connecting with this movie is a exercise of empathy. Right. Um, if you are understanding what this movie is about, and if you are like connecting with this movie, empathy is generally a good thing. Let me just start there and get that out front. Right. But this movie really, really, really preys upon a healthy sense of empathy by by right. by grabbing that and 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 making you feel um like a bag of fish heads. Uh. There's also a moment in this movie that is so emotionally brutal uh, as a parent that, like, when people are like, oh, no, there just wasn't really anything there. I'm like, are you fucking insane? <laughs> it, uh, again, I mean, not that we're that worried about spoilers, but this is actually the sort of thing where I don't even want to get into it. I don't want to think hard. about it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Justin doesn't even want to acknowledge the thing happened. No. <laughs> he wants to move on with his life. No, it's just, okay, just real quick. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm going to let you finish. But I feel about this movie when people say it wasn't brutal enough. Nothing happened. I feel the way about people who saw The Witch and they were like, but nothing happened. I'm like, did you miss the part where a baby was ground up and rubbed on an old woman? Did you fucking miss that part? Can, so, can, can we just talk about two? Just real quick. I've really loved lately a lot of movies with real harsh things happening to children. Yeah, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not a parent. I mean, I, 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 I have a paternal connection to like my niece and like my friend's children. I, you know, I like to think I'm generally like a guy who sees like a little kid and if they fall, I'm like, oh man, I hope nothing bad happens to that child. I have a, I have a paternal connection to my niece. I love my niece. And there's all these movies that have been coming out like, like The Witch and It and this where terrible shit is happening to children. Agasusa. I see. I didn't see that. Bro. I don't need to see that. No, you do. Ah, I don't know if I do. It's really good. Ah, I don't know if I do. See, you told me that I shouldn't see uh, the fucking In the Flesh. No, We Are the Flesh. We Are the Flesh. I didn't see that movie. I trust you. 
Yeah. Unfortunately, Josh never trusts me, and he definitely saw it, even though I told him not to. Yeah, and that was the episode that you said I specifically told you and Justin not to watch this movie, and you didn't listen to it. And I was in my car going, nah, I listened to you, man. <laughs> I listened to I, I had you on that. I'm telling you, you should see Hagasusa. Okay. okay. Uh, here's the thing. If, you were, if you're one of the people who's avoiding Hereditary because of the hype... Fuck it. See the movie. Yeah. I think, I think it's worth seeing. It's at least worth seeing so you know whether it's something that connects with you or it's something that doesn't. Um, and I think it's a movie that's going to affect horror, I hope, for a long time because more movies like this are going to get the funding that they need to happen. I hope. Okay. So go see Hereditary. Uh, I saw another couple movies before we talk about some trailers that we saw. I saw a little movie called The Devil's Gate I've been wanting to see for a while. Sure. It wasn't too bad. Right. Um it was about aliens, farmers, secret cults. I can fuck with that. That all sounds good. And then I finally saw... I, I'll, I'll recommend it. It was pretty good. And then I finally saw a movie I've been wanting to see for a long time now. The companion piece to uh, The Resolution by Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, The Endless. Oh, you finally saw it. I finally saw it. I really liked it. I've been meaning to catch it, and I haven't gotten to it. I have it on standard definition Blu-ray if you want to borrow it. I have it. I have a streaming copy. Here. Okay. So, um, I really like the movie. Uh, I know a, I saw like a lot of people were sort of like, I didn't get it. I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. And that again, that's that's totally fine. To those who say they haven't liked it, I would, I would suggest watching Resolution first. Yeah. Um, or now watching it again because i really think that uh in the endless i think they kind of leaned into the resolution connection a little bit and i think that might have been lost on people who were unaware about this prior movie uh i thought it was great um it opens up with an hp lovecraft quote that doesn't involve racism so you know that's that's i signed me up uh so that was fun um and then we saw there's some of the trailers we want to talk about, and this is how fucking behind the times we are. They finally released a trailer for, released a trailer for Halloween. Oh, yeah. We haven't, yeah, we we haven't a chance get, to talk about that. Oh, God. What did you think we about that? We record more. We do. I agree. Um, you know, I actually, I'm torn because I think, uh, I think the visuals were pretty cool, and I'm super stoked on... Um, on um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. I think she, she seems cool in it. Um, but other than that, nothing about it really super grabbed me. It was just sort of like, oh, this looks like it could be cool, whatever. Um, but it's hard for me to get, I'm not excited about it either. I'm just kind of like cautiously like, okay, well, at least it looks like it could be interesting. I talked with Adriana, uh, a little bit about this. Um, I think the scene in the, in the mental institution, while visually striking with the checkerboard ground, I think is very interesting to look at. It almost reminds me of something like, like an Argento film. It's a little problematic, though, tr- showing the inmates as like, what was this fucking Todd Browning's freaks? Or like, I thought that we moved past this when we did the Sentinel back in the 70s. Like, sure. we're really gonna, we're really doing this. Uh, I thought that was really corny. But the rest of the movie, particularly the scene where Michael Myers drops a handful of teeth over the edge of a bathroom stall, was so straightforward and fucking brutal which is what i want out of a halloween movie not like Mm. rob zombie like Mm. we're gonna have a lot of profanity and just this like onslaught of fucking violence i think that kind of just like very visual hint of brutality is what i'm looking for in one of these movies 
I don't know. It it here's the thing. The teeth thing felt to me um hard for me to buy. Why why do you say that? Uh well, okay, it doesn't matter. It's in a trailer. Yeah. So I don't know what the circumstances are. But my immediate thought was so while she's taking a dumper or whatever. Or hiding. I think she's hiding. No, she's using the bathroom. Oh, she is? Okay. I think. Again, we haven't seen the movie yet. Yeah, yeah. My immediate thought was, how's he got time to take all those teeth out? He's going to drop them over the stub. That is dumb. Maybe he just has them. Oh, that's stupid. It's Michael Myers. Who the fuck knows what he does? He was just in the, the mental house. Whatever. Point being is that that moment did not grab me. Uh, the part where Jimmy Lee Curtis just immediately tries to shoot him and it's his reflection. I fucking love that. Yeah. I thought that was fun. I think gross. what's going to happen is she's going to end up killing someone who's not Michael Myers. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. But the idea that she's a, a fucking psychopath out in the woods training for that. I think it's great. So good. I think it's, it's very reminiscent of like, uh, well, it, 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 I saw someone target. I don't want to take this idea because it's not mine. Um, but I don't remember who it was. There was a young lady film critic on Twitter said this, and so I'm sorry I'm stealing your thing, but it was very good, but I don't remember who it was, so apologies. But she was basically saying, like, I think you can make a very strong case that uh, Laurie is not a final girl anyway. No. In the sense of, like, she's the final girl, but yeah, yeah, she's yeah. not, like, some strong warrior. That she's fucking traumatized. And so the idea that, like, since this horrible trauma happened, she's just spent the rest of her life living that out and trying to, like, protect herself in some way you could, is, like, really compelling. You could draw a comparison to um, Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2. Sure. Where you had this every woman, you know, this young college-age student, mm-hmm. go from normal everyday circumstances, suddenly encounters something that she cannot comprehend, and it transforms her fundamentally, you know... In a way that's either like, yeah, I'm this fucking badass, but it's more like I am a broken human being mm-hmm. who doesn't know how to cope with what I know, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to do, I'm trying to cope with that by uh, gratuitous amounts of violence and you know radical attacks on our yeah. coming uh, cybernetic overlords. Uh, it's a trailer. We'll see how it turns out. Yeah. Um. The Predator. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Um, I'm. I'm on board. You're on board? Yeah, I don't I don't in fact I'm so on board that I don't understand why people I don't even mentally understand why people aren't on board. Can I say the only thing that would keep me from being slightly not on board? Okay. Uh a key, a, a key selling point I keep seeing and that they keep hyping up is this uh super predator. Yeah. Which um is cool. Yeah. What's scarier than the predator? I mean but I I don't see that as like this unique selling point because they already did that in Predators and it was fucking stupid. Mm. You know, they already had like, oh, there's like the Predator who's hunting us and then there's like another Predator who's hunting the Predators. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it was dumb. It was really fucking stupid. Sure. So in this one, I'm like, everything else looks neat. Like, I, I think it, I, I love the fact that it's, it, it, it specifically takes place. Oh, side note, I love that Halloween is doing away with all the other Halloweens. Sure. Because all the other Halloweens except for Halloween 3 are kind of bad. So your feeling is Predator would be better if it was erasing Predators. Uh, I think it would be better if all the movies that weren't Predator and Predator 2 just didn't happen. Maybe like five minutes of Aliens versus Predator. 
No, that's bad. I'm saying there's a few moments in that movie that I kind of liked. Ugh, you crazy person. But um, that's fine. I here's here's the thing. I love I love Predator. Who doesn't? It's great. Um, but I'm not gonna pretend that my love for Predator is because Predator is like a perfect movie. No. <laughs> It's a ridiculous fucking movie. It's insane. Don't get me wrong. It's a movie with a lot of momentum. It yes. fucking moves. It's like and it, and it shifts gears in a way that makes that 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 shouldn't work, but it does. Like well, Brendan Foley broke it down perfectly on Twitter, yeah, where he yeah, said, what like, he said it was like a, the he, first forty five minutes are like macho, look at our guns, and then there's like twenty minutes of like holy fuck, what are we gonna do? And then the last act is like you know just a showdown between man versus whatever. Yeah. But I, I say all that to say that though part of me is still a little skeptical because I just don't know that it's a good idea. Okay. To remake Predator. So some I mean it's not a remake. I mean, you know what I mean? Like Whatever it is. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's not a good idea to do this at all. Okay. I'm okay with that. I can buy into that uh argument. But if we think it's a good idea to do it at all, then why does it gotta be fucking perfect i just don't believe it's got to be perfect i got you i'm with you too. i'm just kind of like it's fun it looks like it's fun and kind of funny yeah i mean it's got key in it and it's very possible and i'm not saying that to say and therefore it's going to be great i'm also very prepared despite my love for shane black which is deep yeah and my love for fred decker which is deep yes it could suck oh yeah very I mean, easily here's the deal i fucking love shane black Iron Man three is bad. I'm sorry. I politely disagree. I don't a think a lot of people disagree. I don't think it's great. I don't think I wouldn't even say it's in my top five favorite MCU movies. But right. I don't think it's like a bad. Like I'll I can watch it. Like I mean, don't get me wrong. Is it significantly better than Iron Man two? Sure. Yeah. But I still don't like it. I mean, I'm a, I'm one of these people who also is like weird i've seen every mcu movie except for infinity War. you son of a bitch every mcu movie i've seen in the theater with excitement yeah and in retrospect i think many of them are not great but at the time i was like woohoo and then later <laughs> on i rewatch them and go what the fuck god damn it um so iron man 3 was one of those for me i mean the well you don't have to talk about iron man 3 point is I'm stoked on Predator. Fair enough. Uh, we just watched the trailer for Mandy, the mm. upcoming Nicolas Cage movie. Yep. Sign me up. Panos Cosmetos. Uh, director of Beyond the Black Rainbow. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's done other things too, uh, but all I know is... He yeah. could have not done anything, and this could be his first movie, and I'd be fucking excited to see it. It looks so... The trailer looks so good, and pe- the people I'd, who I've seen hyping it are people who I generally trust, yeah. so I'm in. Yeah, it looks great. Uh, you should go watch it. It's a... I, I, it, it's everything that I love in movies like cults and in mystery mm-hmm. and Nicolas Cage, who uh-huh. I think I'll say not entirely ironically that I think he's the greatest living actor. I can't agree with that. That's but, fine. But I will say he is actually when he chooses to be, he is very good mm-hmm. and that he can definitely bring something to this. And from what I told does bring something. To this yes. That will be unique and worth watching. And finally, we watch a trailer for a little movie called, Tau, T-A-U. It looks cool. It's about robots ruining our day. I'm, uh, I am entirely and exclusively stoked because it's the uh, young lady from It Follows and The Guest. Yes. 
and she seems great. Yeah, she is great. So, she was also an independent saver surgeon. So I just want to point I that out. I can't care about it's fine. that. It's fine. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about 1990s satanic detective cop movie, <laughs> The First Power. We'll be right back. Since the beginning of time, Satan has worked to create the perfect killer. One who kills many without reason. One who cannot be stopped. Today, that man exists. Be warned. We're just going to go through a very small door here. Lou Diamond Phillips is hunting a man who kills for the sake of killing. Tracy Griffith might be the only one who can help stop him. I know where he's going next. What? Oh. But this location fits the pentagram pattern on the map, and my informant says this is where he's going to strike next. This is the third time in less than five years that Logan has been responsible for the death or capture of a serial killer. See you around, buddy boy. I doubt it. Each death makes him stronger. How did you know where he was going next? I opened myself up to him. He might have executed his body, but his spirit has been released. He has the third power. He could be anywhere. How's the stomach, buddy boy? <laughs> Logan! He has the second power. Hi, cutie. He could be anyone. Sister. Oh, I'm afraid she's not here. Now... He has the first power. See you around, buddy boy. Immortality. You don't have any idea of what you'd be facing. You can't go on killing forever. You want a bit? power and we are back to talk about 1990s the first power i want to give a special thank out to a friend of the podcast thank out yeah a special thank, thank out. out that's a new thing that you're yeah, debuting yeah, yeah. here hey thank out yeah, give a special what up? thank out thank out i want to give a thank out to my man joe ferrero airport pawn we watched this movie a few weeks ago on a very slow day at work he loves this movie. I was like, yeah, we're going to do an episode on it. So The First Power was released on April 6, 1990 with a budget of $10 million. It grossed over $22 million. That's impressive. Yeah. Considering that no one has heard of this movie. or Do you think a lot of that movie went into um, getting all of Lou Diamond Phillips' clothes? To fit as badly as they did, yes. <laughs> I think all the money went to that. Yeah. Uh, it was written and directed by Robert Reisnikoff, who directed a movie called The Jogger, starring Lou Diamond Phillips, who was in La Bamba, Stand and Deliver, Courage Under Fire, The Big Hit, and Bats. And he's Filipino. And he's Filipino. Josh Alvarez would like that. Tracy Griffith, who was in Sleepaway Camp 3, and Jeff Kober, who was in Sully, The Sons of Anarchy, and The Walking Dead. He's really great. Yeah, he. Uh, if you're wondering, he's the guy in The Walking Dead who threatens to... Assault Carl and Rick chews his throat open. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. 
Uh, so the plot of this movie is very simple. It's a reoccurring theme in this episode. Uh, Jeff Cobra plays a serial killer. What's his that? Ch- uh, something. Some guy. Chadwick. Oh, but his killer name. His killer name. He's remember. like a satanic guy, and uh, Lou, <laughs> he's just a satanic. He's like guy. a satanic killer, uh, the pentagram killer, I think they call him. Yeah, that's and right. Lou Diamond Phillips uh, arrests him, gets the death penalty. He dies, and then a series of copycat murders start occurring, and it turns out that he has gained the first power, which is granted, which is not an actual thing. It's completely made up. Yeah, I mean, there's no theological uh, basis for this. No, I mean. Uh, this is something that movies have to do a lot, which yeah. is like... So there's the third power, which is teleportation. Yeah. The second power, which is possession. Right. And then the third power, which is resurrection. There's just not that much sexy, cool Satan stuff in any actual religious text. And so movies have to make this shit up in order to like do cool stuff yeah. that they want to do. And I say cool loosely, but yeah. but the idea is like they couldn't they couldn't be like actually this is what's really going you know what I mean like that the, the wouldn't really work yeah so uh, also I want to point out this movie also has two really cool sort of horror cameos one from the guy who was the really bad dude in The Giver he also played the really creepy doctor in Reanimator you know that one yeah yeah subpar yeah. John Kerry yeah and then uh, our man Bill Mosley has a brief role as a uh, bartender in this um. I think this movie is like I liked it. Sure. I liked it because it's it really successfully blended two of my like favorite kinds of movies which are like the goofy satanic panic movies. Sure. From like the late 80s early 90s and then like stupid goofy buddy cop movies from the 80s and 90s. Buddy cop movies. No, like at any point like okay right. when when Lou Diamond Phillips's partner dies how close was he saying like <coughs> Damn it! Oh man, I had two weeks till retirement. I didn't do something like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Lou Phillips is like, "You just hang in there, man. Amos is on the way." Wait, can we clarify too? When his partner dies, by being stomped by a to horse, death by a horse, possibly possessed horse, they do not make that clear. <laughs> I choose to believe that Jeff that this Jeff uh, Jeff Col- Colbert possessed a horse to stomp this guy to death. How often are there just horses in downtown L.A. too? Like, they're in L.A. It's not like they're in the country. They're just on the street, and then there's just a horse in Canada. There are horses all over the place in Philadelphia, so. Yeah, well, we're not in Philadelphia. The movie's in L.A. I, I, look, I don't know. So, um, this movie is ridiculous on many, many levels. Um, for one, Lou Diamond Phillips does not own a single piece of clothing that fits properly. It's really like they were like, okay, you're a cop, so you have to dress like a cop, but you're kind of cholo. So, like, get everything just a little cholo. Get half a zoot suit. We're going to wear half a zoot suit. (laughs) I mean, there's a moment, like, he, so, um, just to give you a little bit of plot, which the beginning, the setup for this movie is at a fucking breakneck speed. They're from the gate. There's a nun. It literally is like, there's a nun. The nun knows that there's a, evil dude and the priests are like fuck off yeah and then uh, Lou Diamond Phillips is cop man and psychic calls cop man and is like this is what's going on with the killer and then he immediately moves on that information blah 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 point is is uh, you know the psychic is like whatever you do don't kill him yeah he can't be executed okay okay whatever so then they set it up they catch 
the killer guy. Lou Diamond Phillips is celebrating, and this whole time he's in the office, right? And he's got um, dress pants, nice shirt, tie. Oh, like a red silk shirt. Okay, first of all, these dress pants, they have more pleats than should be allowed by law. (laughs) And they've been pulled up. My man wears his pants up. You know, in our society, we've all generally accepted that the waist is somewhere around the hip section now. We've agreed upon it. Most men tend to wear their pants around that area, the hip area. Yeah. My man has his pants up. Up around, like, near nipple level. Tit level, we'll say. But then his shirt... It's not tucked in in a way where it's form-fitting either. He's then pulled the shirt out, so it's, again, zoot suit poofy. <laughs> just poofed. He's just poofing it. And you're like, okay, that's a weird look, but it's the it's literally 1990. Yeah. So whatever. Anything goes. But then even at home, he's like, I'm, a, I'm lounging, and I just had a bad dream. I'm going to put on a pair of jeans. And he just throws on a pair of jeans. They don't fit. They just And it's not a style, you know. He doesn't put on Jenkos. He's not putting on like cool. They just don't. Just nothing in this movie fits. And this isn't a fashion podcast, so you're probably wondering why we're obsessed with it. But it's just so clear in every scene that it it is immediately distracting. His trench coat is the like he's just running around in the Terminator. Kyle Reese comes back from the future and grabs a trench coat off the rack, and it fits better than his trench coat fits in this one. It's crazy. It's uh, also I love the fact when they're celebrating after the guy dies and they like pop the champagne bottle and the champagne like splashes across like the the headline like mm-hmm. pentagram. It, it's like is it a, a cum shot? Is he, like, it looks like a. It cum looks shot. like he's jerking off. Like I just fucking got this guy killed. So okay, so basically what happens with the psychic's help, he catches this dude. Then dude's executed. Dude literally does not give a fuck. Like he could not care less. Yes. And then uh, the killing start. Immediate, like it's like a couple of days. I think it's the next day. The next day, yeah. The killings start again, and it's the same pattern. Um, and there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of pentagram stuff going on. He's carved the pentagrams, and then the killings are in the shape of a pentagram. It's like if you do pentagram stuff, this is the school of Satanism. That it's like, look, it's a very '90s movie. That's what I'm take, saying. Take pentagrams, mix them with just backward shit. Anything that's backwards, which is creepy. The Lord's Prayer backwards is creepy. It's not that it's not creepy. It's that as a dude who's not in the midst of satanic panic, the idea that, like, again, you're working on your script, and you're like, and then he says the Lord's Prayer backwards. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's fucked up. That's what a satanist Whereas now, if you're like, yeah, and he says the Lord's Prayer backwards, like, we're working on something, you say Big that. fucking deal. Get I'm me like, the scrolls of Ebon in the Necronomicon, and then we'll fucking talk some shit. I'm like, like yeah, I can, I can say the alphabet backwards. Is that fuck God up to? <laughs> yeah. What, what is the investment level? Where he's like, did you just say it back? Oh, now I'm really bad. Well, to be fair, Liam. Yeah. He's desecrating what the Lord has. Like how 3 a.m. No, 3 a.m. 3 a.m. is the unholiest hour because it's contrary to the 3 p.m. when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died. No, all of that is insane to me. None, I, of, no, it, none of that's in the Bible. <laughs> no, it, it's not even just that it's not in the Bible, but the logic of, you know what God really doesn't like? Opposites. It's a very. Just do it all opposite. That's my whole point about this movie. It's a representation of that sort of talk show brand of Satanism that right. was huge in the 80s. So fucking big. And that's why, like, you had movies like this and Hideaway and yeah. Warlock and Evil Speak, which we did, which. But Evil Speak is fucking great. I'm not saying I'm not saying that Warlock and Hideaway are necessarily bad. Well, Hideaway is War- a fucking pile of Warlock shit. Warlock is not that great. 
It's better than fucking Hideaway. Yeah. But still, it has this very, like, instead of, like, looking at any sort of, like, theological, theologically based, um, like, theological Satanism, not like um, Anton LaVey style Satanism, which sure. is, like, I, I mean, sure. like, worship of the actual deity of Satan. Yeah. Well, the idea that, like, to be opposite of God in a Christian framework would be then to accept to me something ideological so god is about compassion i won't be compassionate whatever, whatever yeah yeah yeah. and i guess that's true he is carving pentagrams into people so he's not exactly the you know a saint yeah but but the idea that like he also really doesn't like when you do shit that he did but like op- and then it's like how far would you take that like well i should just walk backwards into this room yeah i'll turn all my clothes backwards like anyways point me none of that matters but i think what you did hit on that does matter for interpreting this movie is that Part of the eerie world building of the movie is that here's a dude doing all this Satan shit, and it's worked, and it's worked out. Yeah, and now he's got powers. Not only powers, he has at least three. Yeah, how does he get to three? Oh, I mean, my man is just—I mean, first of all, the other two powers, right? Okay, so the third, the the or the first power is resurrection. Resurrection. The other two hours, it seems superfluous to me. Once you've got the resurrection Teleportation? Now, That's a cooler power than resurrection. First of all, no. There is no cooler power than resurrection. I think Nightcrawler has a cooler power than, I don't know, the, Bucky. The, there is no superhero whose power is resurrection. Bruce Wayne has been killed more times than I've had birthdays. No, this is what I'm saying, though. Like, uh, I'm just saying Oh, what, well, by the way, we keep missing one of the powers. There's three, right? Possession, teleportation, and... Resurrection. Resurrection. Okay. And kung fu, apparently. <laughs> That's true. The, uh, the, uh, it just seems to me... Uh, okay, possession? It makes sense. He's like a, He's got spiritual he's stuff yeah. and whatever. Resurrection? That's That's the whole bag right there. That's everything. It's a mocking. It's a. It's and I'm saying this seriously. I believe that because uh, they, they say that God gave it to his followers too. I think the whole idea of of resurrection is like the ultimate re- the ultimate perversion of like, you know, you can't see, but I just made like a ooh like gesture with my right. hands. That's like the ultimate perversion of of uh, the Christian doctrine is that you know Satan's like, oh, I can do it too. Here's this fucking jerk off is back from the dead. Where does teleportation fit into all this? Again, this is what I'm saying. I, to me, teleportation seems so lame in comparison. But there's something essential, something like uh, uh, fundamentally essential to taking over somebody. To possessing someone, yeah. And to coming back from the dead. But then it's like, okay, I've come back from the dead. I've possessed multiple people, but I like really don't like walking. So yeah. I'll just like zip over to another spot. Yeah. Like it, it makes sense. It's just, again, what it is is that they've made a list. If they just said, now he's got powers. He came back from the dead, so the first power is resurrection. Yeah. And now he's just got stuff. They don't need to put teleportation on the list. Because when a man does more, it's also not true that he possesses people and he teleports. And that's basically what he does. Yeah. He does a lot of other shit. He's just basically magic now. Yeah. They should just be like, the first power is he's magical. And now he does magic shit. If they just said he had, like, Proteus-level, like, reality-bending powers they're never gonna make an x-men reference in the i know movie. but you know what i'm saying right like that's that for fucking he has like power me. over reality yeah we're writing our own script right now <laughs> <laughs> this dude he goes around yeah. he just says the whole bible backwards yeah 
moonwalks everywhere. Just fucking everything is backwards. Yeah. He 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 eats his own shit. That'd be backwards, right? And then, shits out of his mouth. He shits, shoves food up his ass. Out of his mouth. And he pees out of his eyes. <laughs> For the greatest film of all time. <laughs> and, then, and then he just he's good. He just got he just got magic shit. <laughs> he just does magic. <laughs> okay. Anyways, I'm sorry. We got so derailed. With the, what I was trying to get at before is the idea that part of the reason this film works in a um or doesn't work uh but the idea that it could work is that it's within this context of the satanic panic that the idea like cuz you got to figure 1990 is about the the beginning of the end for horror fiction in America you think 1990 was uh, maybe not the beginning. Like horror fiction, you mean like paperbacks? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Things that sort of, uh, in other words, 1990 to me seems like sort of the cusping wave of like, psycho killers are scarier than the supernatural shit. Yeah, all the great, by 1990, all the great horror fiction had been, I mean, you still have, you still have like the holders on like, uh, like Bentley Little and Douglas Clegg, but like, Brian Lumley had done Necroscope, all of right. it, by 1990. Stephen King had done his best work by 1990. And, and, and people are just jerking off to psycho killers. Everything is like, oh, God, this is psycho killer. We're not far from Dahmer. We're not yeah. soon after yeah. Richard Ramirez, which is sort of playing to this. So. Yeah. And so I, I think um, I bring that up to say this movie is really trying to smush them. It's smushing. Yeah. It's like, you know, it would be scarier than just a psycho killer who is, we all admit is very scary. But what if he's got satanic powers? Yeah. What if we couldn't just kill him because yeah. he would just come back? Like so, I think I think that is playing into a certain atmosphere of satanic panic. Whereas watching it now, for me, I was like not feeling it as much. Whereas I saw this movie probably not long after it came out on HBO or some shit. Yeah, yeah, and it fucking. God, I was it was under my skin. Yeah, I remember parts of this movie are like burned into my brain. Like I remember it so much, but watching it now, it was just kind of like, okay. So we sort of laid out the plot a little bit. Basically, everything that happens once he comes back is all falls into the category of like trying to get the killer. Maybe I want to fuck the psychic. Oh, now there's a nun. Yeah. We, we, actually, no. The third part is, uh, uh, turns out he's going to possess somebody else. Yeah. Another. Oh, uh, it's another possession. He might try and frame me. Yeah, he's trying trying to frame me. Side note: yeah, These are. It's a little upsetting how similar these movies are. I didn't quite realize it. Oh, they're very similar. This base, Fallen is basically ripping off the first power, but doing it much better. Yes. Okay. Anyways, back to the first power. So, um, there's an aspect of just Lou Diamond films just running around shooting guns. He's just shooting. Very, not to be all like gun nerdy, but it made me physically nervous to watch him run around with his finger on the trigger the whole time. I mean, okay. This is what's going on. Killer guy is smarter than everyone in the movie. Literally everyone. Everyone. Including a psychic. One. Killer guy's smarter than everyone. He's a, a step ahead all the time. Two, Lou Diamond Phillips is a bad policeman. He's a he's, terrible he's, he's a cop. bad cop. And so it's to the point where it's distracting. If the movie, the movie could be about him being a bad cop, 
like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's not clear that the movie has figured out that the makers of the film have figured out that he's a bad cop. Yeah. They're just like, no, he's just doing his thing. And for me watching the movie, I'm distracted because I'm like, why are you doing that? Oh, that's bad. No, don't do and that. I'm, oh, I'm, fuck. I'm saying, I'm not saying, we're not saying he's a bad cop like William Hootkins is a bad cop in Batman. I mean, he is a bad cop in the sense that I feel he got fucking lucky stumbling upon. Right. Figuring out. Oh, who this yes, yes, yes. He's not the bad lieutenant. No, no, he's no. He's more like Keystone Cops. Yeah. Like he just can't figure out what the fuck he's doing he's just running around like a crazy person with his finger on the trigger with no idea what he's to do. more angry barney fife than he right. is like harvey Keitel and bad lieutenant and he you know i also think his turn you know in this both movies there's this turn from like i'm just a skeptical hard-nosed cop i don't buy into the supernatural mumbo jumbo and then they you know they buy in in this movie it's like unbel- there's i'm not sold at all no he just is like i don't believe any of this so now what do we do to get the Satan guy? Like there's just no there's no arc there. Whereas like by comparison, I don't want to compare them too much, but like Denzel sells it. Like you Oh like, yeah. Even 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 when he finally does buy in, Denzel's trying to figure out how to do this like practically. You know what I mean? Yeah. This movie he just I don't know. It's just not there. And then the, you got the psychic lady. She's not very compelling, I don't no, feel. But I also feel uh, no, not at all. Yeah. I also love that that psychic solving the crime is another holdover from the fucking 80s. Yeah, 100%. When they were like, oh, a little kid's missing and we can't find him? Bring in the psychic. Like, yeah. Uh, that's... I, I, I dig that aspect to it, though. But there's so much... So this is what sucks for me. There's a lot of very fast, dynamic things that happen to get us to the point where Lou Diamond Phillips and Psychic Lady are basically on a quest together. Yes. And then the movie, I won't go so far as to say it grinds to a halt, but it spends a lot of fucking time showing us how they get to know each other. I don't need like, to know that. They work together, and like, maybe I don't know, maybe one day they'll care about each other. Yeah. And like, yo, fuck you. Like, I'm here for Lou Diamond Phillips being a bad cop and scary magic Satan guy. Yeah. They don't need to connect. And no. then when they bring the nun in, she should really bring an aspect of intensity that doesn't fucking happen. Nope. It doesn't happen. She is a magic weapon that is useless. They, I mean, they, they eventually ne- use it, but a lot of the time it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, we got that cross knife, right? Ah, we'll get to it. It's fine. We'll what is that? The out. daggers of Megiddo? Oh, wait, we can't say that because that's copyrighted by the Omen. It's the... Uh... Uh, the, the da- daggers the, of Golgotha. It's the swaggers of Blagido. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, the idea they suggest that this fucking cross dagger is a relic, and they try to connect it almost directly to Jesus like, Christ. It's only been used by one other person before. Like, liter- like literally, like, like as if Jesus, as he's walking around, like blessing lepers and doing whatever the fuck, is like awesome. Cross, I know it's fucked up. Because... You don't know what a cross is. <laughs> I mean, they know what a but, fucking cross is. He's like, weirdly, this guy's going to be crucified on this thing. I don't know why yet, but here's a dagger with some guy. It's not me, crucified on it. It's not me on the cross. I don't know why it's going to be important, but I'm going to have to use it. It's so stupid. I also felt like, and we talked about this a little bit off mic, but um, I just feel like this movie is not sure what it wants to be. It still wants to have cool cop shit. I'll give this movie credit 
seriously for one thing that a lot of these 80s and 90s cop movies didn't do is that they hold Lou Diamond Phillips for his irresponsible cop behavior. That's there true. are so many times in these movies, like in Dirty Harry, where like he's like, the Miranda rights, fuck that. Fuck the Fourth Amendment. Dude, fuck this, fuck that. And they're like, he gets results. Like in this one, when Lou Diamond Phillips threatens a, not even technically a person of interest, arrests her without reading her rights, and like breaks into her house, like you're like, what the fuck? How is he getting away with all this shit? And then at the end of his captain's like, you know you can't do that, right? You know that you're gonna get in a lot of fucking trouble because you did all this shit that's fucking illegal. And he's like, actually, like I don't care. He's like, you fuck, you fucking should care. Like it, it weirdly for as off the rails as it gets, it sort of like brings it back by like being like, you know, cops can't actually do all this shit. Right. That's fair. That's yeah. a fair point. But uh, I mean, it's it just it, it's. I just think that they got to a point where until they introduced the nun with the cool knifey knife. Yeah. They've got a big bad yes. who can do whatever the fuck he wants. And they've got two people who don't know what to do about that. They also, at one point, Lou Diamond Phillips brings out a box containing plastic explosives and grenades. And she's like, what the fuck are you going to do with that? He's like, got it from a buddy of mine. It's in case things get too bad. And then they never bring that. Do, do they? Did I miss something? They never use that, do they? No, it has no... Okay. The entire scene is superfluous. So they just... Lou Diamond Phillips... Uh, so regardless, is, it, we now know that Lou Diamond Phillips' this character just has explosives in his apartment. For no reason. For no reason. Uh, I hate to say it because, um, I, you know, this sort of... It is a very grimy L.A. movie. There's yes. a lot of L.A. sort of whatever. But a lot of grimy L.A. movies tend to play into the prejudices of the people who made them, which is like, you know what's really scary about Los Angeles? It's fucking homeless people. Homeless people are so fucking scary. There's some of that in this movie. No, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I hate to say this because I find that trope, like, you know, when we really want you to feel like you're near hell and Satan could come at any moment? Homeless people. This movie does that a fucking lot. Yeah. And so that I hate to say this, but the part in the hotel with all the homeless people is one of the most effective moments of the film. Mm -hmm. That, in fact, I will say the beginning stuff kind of works, then it kind of loses itself, and then the hotel shit works, and then it loses itself a teeny bit, and then it, we get into the big climax, and the climax is dumb. It's dumb. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a... It's a... The, the note that I took for it was it's kind of like the ending of The Omen, mm. only not compelling or with any emotional investment whatsoever. Well, and it sets up, it sets up, it, I hate it when movies do this too, where they set up rules, but then the characters just can't fucking remember. Like the whole time they're in the room, it's like, you have one thing that will kill the dude. Yeah. Just do the thing. And then when he's like, you know, the, the, so there's a whole fake out where they, they go to a place to do battle and it doesn't go well, whatever, whatever. And then they're getting away. And then where's the nun? Where did the, where'd the nun go? They go back. Oh, sister, you okay? And it's like, hey there, buddy, blah, 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 blah. You fucking knew the. Uh, come on. If, if you know one of the powers is possession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've seen my man possess anybody he yeah. wants at this point. Um, how are you gonna be fucking surprised when the nun is possessed? I will say though that that scene where the nun says, "I and I took a quote of it." That nun was all. That actress was 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 awesome. Yeah. Where. Uh, He's saying her name's like Sister Margaret, and he's like, Sister Margaret, you have to fight him. 
And he just like, Sister Margaret says like, uh, I'm afraid she's not here. And it's like, there's just something about the way she says yeah. it that I'm like, wow, that like I, that actress, it's not this like, it's not some like fucking Babe Ruth out of the park performance, but there's just something the way she, about the way she says it that is like really like, yeah, that's not going to work. But then it ultimately fucking does. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like uh, her pure heart, which I guess makes sense. She's a fucking nun. Why would Satan pick to possess a nun? When she stabs herself, though, I couldn't help but hear the Lost Boys song. <laughs> Thou shalt not weep. Gerard McMahon's song just starts wafting over it. Thou shalt. Anyways, um, I don't want to punish this movie because it's not how I remember it. No, it, it's... it is. It is what it is. But I was disappointed. However, you know, if I was at a marathon and this came on, I wouldn't leave. No, it's fine. It's a, it's fine. It's just it it really suffers for trying to build this relationship between uh, Lou Diamond Phillips and the psychic, and like for what reason? Yeah, for what purpose? What does it accomplish? It doesn't move the story forward. It's not particularly compelling. I mean, the only reason movies like this usually do that is for some lurid sex scene. That doesn't happen either. Thanks. So. Thank the baby Jesus for that one. Yeah, I'm not saying it should happen. All I'm saying is I don't know what purpose I think it was their like relationship that, that stupid like it's like screenwriting 101 where like you got to have like the tortured antagonist. He's got to be like a rugged male. He's got to be individualist. He's got to be uh, off. He's got to be like you know against the grain. And then you got to have the serial killer who's like suave and he's he's he he talks smoothly and he's he's got to pass as well. And then you got to have a love interest. You got to have a love interest. It's just it's 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 predictable, bland storytelling. Um, one final note, though, I do want to talk about that is uh, this movie is not full of like unsettling moments. Sure, There's not a lot of moments, but I do think the one effective like possession scene was when it was the first guy that they capture for killing the first copycat killer, and he's just this like fuck to death junkie, just I, I'm addict. Just they find him there and they're like, he hasn't said a word. And it's just this guy like just staring off in the distance. And Lou Diamond Phillips is like, why'd you do it? Like, And the guy's just like gazing off in the middle distance. And Lou, and LDP stands up and goes to walk away. And the camera's following him. And you just hear him, the fucking, uh, you hear just Jeff Colburn in the background. See you around, buddy boy. Which was like his phrase. And then he like turns around and the homeless, the homeless dude is just like still not there. That was... I don't know. I just I, I thought that was a really effective scene. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I think that um it kind of reminds me though that the movie it doesn't do a great job sort of establishing the rules of how Coburn can do what he can do. No, because at the end they 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 sort of allude to the whole time that Coburn is still he is now incorporeal. He does not have a body. But then at the very end when he possesses sister Margaret and they stab him with the daggers of Megiddo or whatever we're going to call it. It's Cobra's body. It reverts back to his body. The way he looked when he died in the gas chamber. And right. everyone, all the other cops see it. Because there's this moment where you were like, fuck, the cops are going to come in and they're going to see Lou Diamond Phillips stabbing a nun. Like, oh my God. But then you're like, that would actually be a cool ending. Like if it ended that way, like really sure. darkly with him dying. Sure. But instead it's like they sort of break their own rules to make a happy ending. And I just, it just doesn't really work for me. But it's not a happy ending because this sister suspects that because Lou Lou Diamond Phillips is in a coma. 
Ah, uh, yes. And she yes, suspects yes. that he's in that the that Coburn's in there. Yes, okay. So all that to say, I just want to say this. It's and they don't establish the rules, and that's that could be fun. I, I just feel like in a movie like this, you have two choices. Your evil devil killer guy can do anything. There's no rules. He can do anything. That's why it's so scary. You never know when he's there, whatever. Yeah. Or you establish the rules and then you work with the rules that you establish. I feel like the movie kind of sets up rules and then it kind of breaks them. Yeah. And I don't like that. Like, to me, if if what you're saying is, look, man, it's Satan stuff. Who knows what's going to happen? Cool. Then don't give me some fucking shit about this, that, or the other. Like, he can do whatever he wants. That makes it even scarier to me. But yeah. The movie's kind of like this is this is what it's like, and then he just does what it just doesn't make sense. So. I got you. Oh well. Yeah, I don't want to punish it too much. I would still recommend it. It's still a cool movie to watch. I I don't feel like anything's been taken away from me, unlike when we watched The Oids, um, which is now the second consecutive episode we complained about those movies. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna take a quick break, and we come back. We're gonna talk about 1998's very similar, but very much better done. Fallen. We'll be right back. Edgar Reese. Who's here? It's the brilliant detective who sealed my brutish fate. Remember this, Hobbs? What goes around really goes around. You have a safe trip, yeah? It's on my side. Go ahead! Light up my life! Criminals like Reese, they kill a few people somehow, it ain't their fault. But what took place tonight, it's the consequences of what I do. You're home early today. For a change. Detective John Hobbs wants to uncover the truth. What does Azazel mean? Now, my dictionary says that evil spirit of the wilderness... Walk away, Mr. Hobbs. But nothing in this world... Is on my side. Can help him solve this case. There are angels. Some of these angels were cast down, and a few of the fallen were punished by being deprived of form. Come on, get out of here. And each touch. And at the execution, did he try and touch you? Or... Yeah, he did, actually. Passes the soul of a killer into someone new. Well, I believe what I see, and I'm still trying to get my mind around what I just saw. Some things, pal, you shouldn't know. I know you, Hobbs. Put the gun down. I know who you are. Put the gun down! Is on my side. Hey, pal. My work is based upon evidence. And aren't your facts resistant to normal interpretation? Hey, Hobbs. You leave my family alone. But I'm still having fun. Denzel Washington. How do we fight him? Is it even possible? I believe it is. John Goodman. Josie, you know I didn't do this. I know that, Hobbs. Donald Sutherland. I know you know more than you're saying. <laughs> Haven't you done enough, huh? Time is on my side. And we are back to talk about 1998's 
Fallen. Released on January 16th, 1998, this film grossed over $35 million, which is impressive. I remember when it came out, it was a big deal. It was written by Nicholas Kazan, who also wrote Reversal of Fortune, Enough, and Bicentennial Man. And it was directed by Gregory, Gregory Hoblet, who direct I fucked that guy's name up, who directed a few episodes of The Strain, go him, and Primal Fear, which I was just talking to my boss about, is, uh, you know, I think Edward Norton's uh, best movie. Uh, starring Denzel Washington, who I don't need to tell you what he's been in, John Goodman, or I also don't need to do that, Donald Sutherland, Elias Coteus, who was uh, Casey Jones in the first Ninja Turtles movie, and he was also in Let Me In, uh, James Gandolfini, fucking great, Embeth Daviditz, who was in Bicentennial Man and Army of Darkness, Robert Joy, who was in Land of the Dead, and Frank Medrano, who plays the... Uh, I only noted this because I love the, the this guy's like claim to fame. He's the inmate who gets uh, in Shawshank Redemption. He's the guy who's like, I don't belong here. How right. am I? And they're yeah. like, it, that guy. Yeah. <clears throat> so if you if you were like that, why does that guy look familiar? It's because he's that guy in Shawshank. And the plot of this is there's a serial killer killing people. Denzel Washington plays a streetwise cop who gets him locked up, gets him the death penalty, and he gets executed. And then a series of copycat murders start. Only this time, instead of it being like a weird devil worshiper, it's actually revealed to be um, Azazel, the fallen angel, who uh, was one of the Nephilim, or one of the Watchers, for you know you uh, Book of Enoch people, and it, the, he can possess people by touch. So uh, the whole rest of this movie is Denzel Washington trying to figure out how to stop something that. Uh, can literally jump from person to person by touch, and then if you kill the person it's possessing, it it is free for the length of one breadth, or 500 cubits. I don't know. Um, this is a Philadelphia movie. You heard us talking about it beforehand. Uh, it's good. <laughs> I think what we're going to talk about a lot, I, I think the main focus of our discussion is whether or not this movie constitutes as a horror film. Well, okay, I I don't want to get too deep into that yet. I, let's say a couple things first. One, do you think uh, Kazan had seen the first power when he wrote this movie? I don't think it's possible he didn't. So here's here's the deal. If this movie was this movie accomplishes a few things up front that make it not something. That would make me angry in in the following way. <laughs> it's the most roundabout way of saying it wasn't bad. No, 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 no. It's not that. It's pretty good. But what I mean is, I kind of feel like I should be mad at this movie for basically ripping off the first power. Now that I've watched them both in a row, absolutely. However, this is what it accomplishes. One, it's way better made. It is so much more dynamic. It's better filmed. It's it more looks consistent. Nicer. Uh, so that's one big thing, is that it's just better technically yes Two, um changing it from a guy who's just a crazy guy yeah who was uh, who's 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 maybe the son of his grandfather and his mother yeah which is like okay whatever um switching it to an actual demon does a lot of things it gives us a character who's more interesting yes who we want to know about it gives us a history this has been going on for a while Putting it lightly, and it has it has a history to it that like we can connect with. Whereas with this, it's like on the first. Uh, first of all, if it was this fucking easy to get the first power, how is our man the first guy that figured it out in all these years? Yeah. 
this makes sense. Like it's where and um in making it this uh demon character, it it gives it a much larger scale. Yes. Um and much bigger stakes in a real way. Yeah. But it also, like you said, it establishes rules mm-hmm. and then it sticks to them. And it it's does. able to do a lot by just sticking to the rules. And it doesn't introduce anything at the last second. There's no Deus Ex Machina, you know, it's like it's like right, like this is how it's gonna be, this is how it works. Um But the controversial thing is the ending. Yes. So talk to me. What do you think about the I ending? honestly do believe I don't have a problem with the ending. But I do think it takes something away from the movie. I do think that the ending and spoiler alert, I do think that the ending of Denzel Washington's character, John Hobbs, combined John Milton and Thomas Hobbs. I think that by John Hobbs sacrificing himself to defeat this demon that has been doing this for millennia and, 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 and outsmarting it and then dying a good death, I think is an amazing ending because it's not a corny, happy ending. It's a good ending to a movie. And then I feel that by making it like, <laughs> you forget that I said this is about the time I almost died, and the fucking Rolling Stones start playing. I don't dislike that ending, but I do think it takes something away from it. I think that the ending of a good man, because the whole thing about this movie is that this is about a good man struggle against something he doesn't understand. They kind of allude to the fact that like, John Hobbs is a unique person on the force in the sense of the police force in the sense that he's not on the take because they establish early on that like there's the guys like John Goodman who were like, hey, we got to do our jobs. It's us against them. It's us or chaos. And John Goodman's like, but sometimes you got to take a little bit. And then you got not John Goodman, but James Gandolfini says straight up, like, you think you're better than me because you're not on the take. Right, 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 but John right. Goodman kind of sort of turns a blind oh, eye. I see to what that. you're saying. Where's, yeah, yeah. Where's, where's like uh Denzel Washington is like, look, man, I don't think any like I don't think any less of you as a person, but I think it's fucked up that you're skimming off the top when we're supposed to be the good guys. Like he's honest, but he's not condescending. And I, I think that they really do set up that he is a man of like moral virtue that is above and beyond the average man. Uh, and then they just kind of throw that away at the end. And I think that I, I just I think it was like a like a. I, I think they only did that for the cheap purpose of, of, of setting it up in the opening. Because the movie opens up at the very end. Like, chronologically, the first scene we see is the very last scene of the movie. It's like, this is about the time I almost died. And, and then it's a cat, and the, the, demon, the demon wins, basically. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, again, I don't have a problem with the... I, I, I don't think this movie has a bad ending, but I think if it ended with Denzel Washington successfully defeating this demon and his sacrifice having meant something because ultimately now it means nothing. The man's lost everything for nothing. If that sacrifice had been worth it and stopping this thing, I think that would have been a fucking awesome ending. It's a bit of a Shyamalan ending. It is, and not in a good way. No, no. And uh, it relates a little bit to uh, a conversation about the genre of this movie. And, And let me be clear, like, I, I'm not saying it's not a horror movie. I'm saying that I could, I think it uh, bends the genre enough that you could say that it's more like a supernatural thriller than a horror movie. Um, and one of my feelings about that, where it doesn't feel very hard to me, 
is like um one it doesn't really it doesn't it doesn't really feel to me like much of the movie is designed in a way to uh, be scary, you know. It, okay. That it's not like working off my fears to some extent, and the ending. I don't know. Actually, in a way, it's it 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 doesn't make me think of horror movies generally speaking, um, but in some ways, it does remind me of some like horror stories, you know, like. In the in the sort of like winky like, um, like a goose because that's how every Goosebumps book ended. Yeah, it kind of feels kind of goosebumpy. You yeah, know what I mean. Um, anyways, it doesn't really matter one way or the other, but it plays into it a little bit because that ending gives it that little bit of like a, <laughs> and the rest of the movie isn't like that. No, that's <laughs> that's what I'm saying is that I think it's a tonal shift, whereas the rest of the movie. For me, it's pitched at that serious tone. I mean, okay, so it, it reminds me tonally and the way that it's made more to like a Silence of the Lambs. Absolutely. And, I, you know, for me, this might just be a Tate's thing. Maybe what I'm describing as a Tate's thing. For you, slasher movies are like not a horror genre you're interested in. No. If we're counting the Silence of the Lambs, kind of like... Uh, thriller, that version of a thriller movie yeah. into the horror genre, which I'm not saying they shouldn't. Genres are not. Just to be clear with everyone, genres don't actually exist. They're, Nothing exists. Well, uh, well that, that's not true. This table exists certainly more than a genre does. Yes. A genre is just a series of descriptions we use to try to classify things. It's not real, and there's no set boundaries. What I'm saying is, those movies don't make me think of horror because while they can be very exciting, very exciting, um, they don't do the things for me that I'm I'm looking for for a horror movie. So it could just be a taste thing. I just don't love them. But that's not necessarily true because I love Silence of the Lambs. Okay. Um, I also enjoy this movie a lot, but it's not, it doesn't make me think of horror in that way. It doesn't connect that way. It's, for me, more like a fun story. But I wonder if I would feel differently about that if the ending was different, I don't know. I no, don't that's, know. That's a legit question. I mean, and I think it's it's sort of almost like a meaningless one because the ending does exist. And it's right. This isn't like this isn't like a movie where it's like the director's cut has a has a different ending. Where like say for example like uh, like how Terminator Two the director's cut has a completely different ending and it completely changes the tone of the movie and I, so it ruins the, the movie. This has an ending that is the ending and that's the only ending and therefore. There's no any discussion we have about whether or not that ending affects what kind of movie this actually is is purely hypothetical. True. All we can really talk about is how this movie is set up and how it's designed to make the viewer feel. And I do think that there – I mean I, I think the, the, the very blatant supernatural element does push it into the horror territory. Um, I think the scariest thing about this movie is that upon first watch, you don't know who is possessed and who isn't. Like there are certain scenes where he's like, sure. he it could be like he he lives with his nephew and his brother, and there are scenes where it's like it could be his nephew, it could be his brother, it could be literally anyone. And uh, I think the most effective scene in this movie is the scene when the 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 the, the demon finds its way down to the police station. Right. And it's like first it jumps into James Gandolfini. And then it starts talking shit subtly to him. 
And then there's this ongoing motif in the movie where you can tell who the demon is because it sings Time is on my side by Rolling Stones, which is the song that the initial killer, uh, played by Elias Codius, was singing as he was dying. Time is on my side. Related note, the Rolling Stones song that closes the movie is not Time is on my no, side. No, it's Sympathy for it's the sympathy Devil. Sympathy for the Devil, which I then and now, I saw this movie in theaters when it came out. Uh, probably only the second horror movie I saw in theaters, I think. Okay. I saw a lot of horror movies at home. Uh, but anyways, when I first saw it, and now, every time Sympathy for the Devil comes on, I just think, come on. Yeah. It's uh, because it's so fucking... Uh, we're watching a, a Demon Possession movie, and you chose Sympathy for the Devil. It was already weird that you chose a Rolling Stones song to be the thing. But I think that works. The first Rolling Stones song... Is hon- I've not been able to get that song out of my head since we watched this. Time is on my side. It's so I well, I, and it's so it's so right for that character. It's right? so like, that's perfect. his whole attitude. It's like, look, you can't stop me. Can't, I I just do it, and 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 that you know. So part of this story is about history. It's about the past and how the past haunts us, right? And that's really who Azazel is. Is like Azazel is the living past, like. Um, while the rest of us lose things to time and we don't know what actually happened and we don't remember and the past can bite us because we weren't there and we didn't experience it. He was. Yeah. He's the only one who was there. He's there for the whole thing. He's there. He knows exactly what's going on. And if he just waits, if he just waits, yeah. he's going to get you. And he doesn't is, have to get you right now. He can get you anytime. And that's even that's even pre- prevalent in the end is when like there's the final showdown where – I just uh, also, I just want the real the scene in the in in the police station is when the demons jumping back and forth between people, and they're all singing this fucking song. And every time it leaves a person, the other person's like, "Why are they singing this?" And then yeah, it comes, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like, and it, it, that displays the performance. It's Gandolfini is terribly sinister in that role, in that scene. But the, the the part where at the end, when John Goodman ends up being the final person, they're being possessed, and he's talking to Denzel. Goodman is wounded. He's dying. And even in the face of that, Azazel's like, look, man, it doesn't matter. This body dies. I'm coming to you. Time's on my side, man. I, you know what I mean? He has this, like, this patience. And then there's that moment when Denzel reveals that, like, oh, oh, you thought you were going to jump into me? Well, I just poisoned myself. And that part in particular, John Goodman's reaction is so volatile and animalistic. When you, it honestly looks like something inhuman throwing a tantrum that's not getting its way for the first time in its entire life. Yeah. That's what it, the ending takes away from me. Because yeah. I, I, the satisfaction of, of, of that reaction, I think it nullifies that. Right. Um, well, and especially because it, what it does too is so the character tells you, both at the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie, that this is legit, that he's screwed. Yeah, and that the when the when they find the cat to go into that that's a surprise, but the tone makes it feel like nah, you were never gonna you knew it's one step you a- knew it's one step away from record scratch. Yep, that's me. Right. You're probably wondering how I got here right now. Right, like it's exactly. literally it's not far from that. And it's a shame because I I do think the rest of the movie is played very serious and it it hits the right notes and it. And it looks good, and it's not perfect. Like again, uh, this sort of '90s thriller is like 
just not my favorite kind of movie per yeah. se. But Denzel is so good, and John Goodman is so good, and uh, even uh, Casey Jones is real good. Everyone's good in this. So, like, it just hits. It just mostly works. Yeah. Except for the whole movie. Actually, it's, I guess, here's the deal. We keep talking about the ending. It's not the fucking ending, y'all, because there's a voiceover from Denzel for the entire film, and then, of course, with the reveal of the ending, you realize it's not Denzel's voiceover. It's the, the fucking demon. The whole time it's the demon in Denzel's voice. And it makes the whole movie about that ending. And so even, it's not like a normal ending where you might say, well, that kind of bumps me out. You just chop the ending off and leave the rest. The whole movie hangs on that fucking it's ending. It's rooted in the ending. It's not like in um, Menace of Society at the end when Kane dies. Right. And it's like, oh, the whole movie was just him thinking about the shitty decision moment before he, moments before he dies. Right. So all the whole movie was. Yeah. And you're like, oh, no, that makes total sense. Right. This movie is like, oh, fuck. I mean, it makes sense, but it just it, it makes the rest of the movie just like uh, less shiny, I guess. Yeah. But here's the thing, though, and I guess this is what it boils down to. And maybe what I'm describing is more exploitation. What I mean is this. This is more supernatural than the first power. Yes. But the first power is really exploiting what people were afraid of. Yeah. With all the pentagrams and shit. Because this movie is very specific. This movie is very like, it's a fallen angel named Azaziel. And it ha- they even explain like the distance of the cubits. It's the from the tip of the finger to the forearm and all this stuff. It's all this weirdly specific stuff that is in the Bible. You know, it, I mean, it might be some of the more apocryphal, wor- like in an apocryphal yeah. works, like the Book of Enoch, but it's all in there. None of this shit is like... But weirdly, that specificity both makes it more believable in a way, but it also, it is the least supernatural possession movie I've ever seen. Okay. Like, there's no magic shit. There's no religious shit. There's no ceremonies where they're warding off. Denzel just literally like, okay, well, you're going to come here and there's going to be nowhere else for you to... I mean, it, it would literally be like... In a way, it, it's like Azazel functions like a sentient disease. I kind of like that. Though. I'm not saying it's bad, but what I'm saying is like, in that way, it's not spiritual. Because it's literally like, okay, so whoever has this, the disease, so let's say Azazel is like sentient cancer, but okay. there's only one case, and you lure it to the place and it can't go anywhere or whatever. In a very real way, that sucks out everything supernatural about the movie. While the movie is still way more, it, it, it for me, it is in a sense more supernatural than the first power. Okay, and yet it is actually in another way an anti-supernatural movie because it's easy to understand, it's easy to grasp. Yeah, and that the solution is not prayer or faith or magic or spells yeah. or the blood of a virgin. The solution is. You think you're so smart, but yeah. you're actually not, and I tricked you. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the whole thing. And there's no, and it's not, anyways, I'm like going into the details of it too much more than I think y'all really want to hear about this movie. But I guess my point is, is like, because even though the pro, the uh, antagonist of the film is a demon who possesses yeah. people. Except for that identity, there's almost nothing supernatural about this movie. It's like that identity and the fact that the person who does the info dump 
is a theology student. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, professor. Other than that, the movie's really just a game of cat and mouse. Yeah. It could literally be a movie about a mutant. Like, this could be an extension of the X-Men universe, where there's... Uh, this This is a movie about the Shadow King. This is literally a movie <laughs> about the fucking Shadow King. I wish you guys could see the look of enlightenment that came on Liam's face just now. Because it kind of is. It is the Shadow That's King. That's who the Shadow King is. Yeah. So, all that to say, I'm not saying the movie's bad, but this is why I, I have not, for most of my life, really thought of it as a horror movie because of that. But what I will say is that by fo- doing this, what it does is it focuses, right? Yeah. It knows what it wants to do. It knows who it wants to be. And for that reason, it's such a better movie than The First Power. Whereas yes. The First Power is like romance, cops, horror. We got yeah. it all! Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't really nail out of it. Fallen is like a little bit more focused, I think, in at least the story it's trying to tell. It just sucks that it's also a car trick. Because it doesn't need to be a car trick. No. And it just bums me out. Yeah, that ending really... I mean, it, we spent most of it talking about the ending and how it is a big, huge fucking bummer. Um, and I, it, it didn't really... The thing is, is that didn't really stick with me until like we started talking about it. And then I, the more we talked about it, the more I was like, fuck, it really, really does. Like, It feels like that ending was just like tacked on the kind of... Uh, well, we need to provide a reason why this guy's narrating the whole movie. Uh, well, what if at the end uh, the fucking demon wins? I mean, when I was a kid, I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. And uh, and I certainly preferred that to the idea that he was narrating. Like, there was a part of me when I was a kid that was like, you can't be narrating if he's dead. Yeah. Dead people don't narrate, first of all. You don't fucking know. Yeah, you don't know what dead people do. Yeah. But, uh... But uh, now watching it, I just do. I think it takes away from what's accomplished by his character, and it's a kind of a bummer. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll second that. Uh, I think that's all we can really say about the about Fallen. Um, oh, uh, Donald Sutherland is good. He's very good. Yeah, he's very good. Jonesy, he's very good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, all the performances are great. Everyone gives their, everyone brings their A game to this. Like James Gandolfini is so intimidating. John Goodman at the end, when he switches from like nice guy to like possessed, it's genuinely unsettling. Yeah. Like when he's like walking around, like singing the fucking time is on my and doing the Mick Jagger strut. Yeah. When he's this giant man who like the whole movie he's like, hey Hobbs man, like we're gonna take care of you, like because there's this moment where they 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 start to suspect that Hobbs is the killer. And, like, Donald Sutherland was like, we're going to fucking hit you with this. Like, you're coming in with us. And John Goodman's like, come in and talk to us and let us know what's going on. Like, something weird is up and we just want to know. And then he makes the switch to, like, the killer and it's fucking frightening. I think that's a testament to how, you know, how great of an actor uh, John Goodman is. So, if if nothing else, the the, the performances in this movie are, are definitely top notch. Um, but, yeah, I think that's I think that's about it. There's one thing I really need. I really need to say. What's that? I don't actually believe that there was ever a mini golf spot in the fucking Italian market by Pat's and Gino's. <laughs> That's the one thing about this movie, and I'm like watching it, and I'm like, I don't believe that shit was ever there. Yeah, that. Oh uh, yeah. Also, it's, maybe it was. I don't yeah. Know. Let me know if you know that there was ever. It's in the movie. There's a mini golf spot where there's now a beer garden, but that was formerly an abandoned lot. 
And so, I don't know, maybe it wasn't abandoned. Maybe it was a mini golf spot, but I don't remember. I remember a fucking building being there, like a house being there that got torn down. I don't know. This is haunting Liam. It's my old neighborhood. Is that part of my own? Okay, there are two. uh, The movie takes place in only a few locations in Philadelphia, and at least two of those locations I directly recognize and I lived there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's like unique for me, at least. Um, I didn't get to play the game where I could figure out where all the other locations are. And if you've done that and you want to tell us about that, that would be great because I, I don't know. But I know that they're at City Hall at a certain point. They're in Maniunk for a chunk of it. And then they're in South Philly for a chunk of it. And then other parts are... We, th- we thought they were at Eastern State. We, they were at Eastern State at one point, but it was another Yeah, it's the prison. Nor- it's the prison that's in the Northeast in northeast philly you might have also seen it in oh not shooter law-abiding citizen yes in yeah law-abiding yeah. citizen they yeah. use that prison as well um man it's a shame that we can come up with the, all the philly movies so quick if we we're doing this about new york you'd be like i don't know this or this yeah. or this king kong philly, what are you talking like, about philly you're like oh, there's there's prisons in the following philadelphia yeah. movies um uh but if you've done that try to figure out where all the locations are let me know uh i will say there's a a very mysterious part where they he goes over the Ben Franklin Bridge. Going yeah, we were talking about this, yeah. And then he goes over some other magical bridge. Beautiful bridge. Beautiful bridge. They had to go to New York just to shoot that fucking bridge because it's so nice. There's no bridge like that in New Jersey. In all of New Jersey, there's no bridge like that. And they make it to be this like long journey way out in the middle of nowhere. And then they're just in the Pine Barrens, which is like 45 minutes outside of the city. It's, I mean, whatever. We shouldn't be picky about geography. That's a dumb thing to be picky about. Yes. But I will be fuck you movie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, Fallen. I mean, it's, again, another movie from my youth that I is not quite as shiny as when I first saw it. But I'm still pretty impressed by it. Yeah. I still think it really kind of moves. Um, we just, we we personally don't appreciate the ending. But I'm not going to let that ruin the whole rest of the movie for me because there's a lot there. There's a lot to love about It's just movie. also like, you know, our theme today was satanic killer movies i think we basically just reviewed the same movie twice really <laughs> but but if our theme had been theological movies what's so funny is i would have suggested fallen yeah and then we would have watched it and i would have realized fallen is not a supernatural movie it is because there's a demon once you get past that there's a demon and he possesses people Everything else that happens is just Denzel yeah. using his brain powers, mm-hmm. not asking the Lord for help. Nope. Not doing any magic shit. I mean, that's what in these movies that we can do. You can ask the Lord for help directly. That never works. You can use various magical items, which range from like Jesus magic items, like cross dagger, to like magic magic items. Like medallions. Yeah. Or you can do what Denzel does, which is like I don't need supernatural shit. I'll figure it out. Like, yeah, that's I'll use my street does. smarts as a cop. And it's pretty funny because he reads a lot of books. Like he's reading and reading all the texts. Yeah, and all the texts tell him something that actually he could have just figured out from one conversation with like, the professor. Fuck that! I'm 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 outsmarting this son of a bitch. And he does. Yeah. Well, he doesn't. But there's a lot of cop stuff too. But yeah. Whatever. All right. Well, thank you again for listening. Yep. Uh, if you want to contact us, we can be reached on Twitter at theharbiz666. We can be reached at Gmail at theharbiz at gmail.com. Yep. Uh, you can go to www.cinepunks.com for more episodes of this podcast and several other great podcasts, including but not limited to Got Me a Movie, Cinepunks itself, The Black Sun Dispatches, which just started season two, and uh, The Mandate. 
if you go to our iTunes, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and download, download, download. Uh, also on cinepunks.com, there's information on how you can subscribe to our Patreon if you feel you'd like to give us a little token of appreciation. Even though anything you guys do, any retweet, any mention, any any anything I see like on Facebook or I see people recommending the podcast, that makes me feel really good. Makes Liam feel really good. It makes us feel really good. Yep. We greatly appreciate that. Yep. Um, so as always, if you do leave us a review on iTunes, take a screenshot, shoot us a private message at Twitter, and we'll send you some uh, free swag. Uh, so until next time, stay spooky and uh, fuck Victor Salva. Fuck him. <laughs>